make sure I'm in perfect see. I don't need it. <laughs> uh, let's, let's pray in preparation for the message this morning. Uh, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, pray that you be with us and help us to um, just hear from you today. Help us to focus on you and keep our hearts and minds just, just focused on the message, Lord. I pray that you would um, help us to encounter Jesus in, in the words of, of your scripture. And Lord, I pray that, that um, you would be with me and help me not to get in the way. Um, I'm, I'm kind of scattered this morning, Lord, and I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I don't want me to be the message. I want you to be the message, Lord. Help us to, help us to hear Jesus in this text. Um, I pray that the folks who are here, that their hearts would be ready to hear from you, that they would know you more by hearing from you. I pray that you would just pour your spirit on the folks in this room and, and fill them up with, with you, Lord. Um, pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are uh, at, at the end of the Easter season. This is Palm Sunday, and I am not preaching a Palm Sunday passage. I'm going to apologize. No, I'm not. I'm not supposed to apologize anymore, so no apology. Um, however, we, there is some Palm Sunday here. So uh, before we dive into that, I want to I talk for a minute about, uh, about my wife, because um, she walked away, so I can do this. Um, about seven years ago, last month, we had our daughter, Abby, and um, I, I, the, the build-up to that was something. Um, I remember uh, watching her, you know, my wife, not Abby, kind of kind of go through the process of being pregnant and growing a baby and all this other stuff, and finally, like, like we, we went to the hospital and we did this, uh, hey, check out the hospital and get a sense of it kind of thing. You know, where you, you go and they, they gave us a tour and they showed us everything. And in the middle of it, I about died of a heart attack because, you know, we're, well, this is where the baby will be born. And you're in this hotel room. Have you all been to a hospital recently? And they're like, and then if there's an emergency and they start like transforming it. I mean, it's literally like a transformer or a cartoon where they're like, look, this door opens and all of this equipment falls out. And, you know, and then the bed flips over and does this sideways thing, and then we can pull the baby out like we do cattle. You know, it, it, about half of you got that joke because you've seen cows born, and everybody on Facebook didn't. Um, and, and I remember they're, like, transforming this room, and it's turning into, like, Optimus Prime baby delivering service, and, and I, I, I freaked out. Because I'm looking around and thinking, oh my gosh, we're going to be responsible for a human being. Like, I can't keep a house plant alive, and, and suddenly we're going to be responsible for this human being. And from that point forward to when my wife actually gave birth, I was, I was terrified. Um, and then when we finally got there, my wife went into labor, and she was in labor for 52 hours. Um, I know, that's nuts, right? That's a long time. And I joke about it not being a long time and not being a big deal, but oh my goodness. Like, I cannot imagine how hard that was for her, right? Um, and, 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 you know, we walked and we, we did all of this stuff. And then the doctor finally said, okay, we're going to give you this, like, shot in your back so that you don't feel it so you can sleep because you're too exhausted and we're going to have to figure this out. And my wife was really upset about that because she wanted to, like, experience childbirth, which is a good thing, actually, in the long run because we wouldn't have had Titus. Um, <laughs> and she said that. Why would anyone do this on purpose? Um, when she was giving birth to Titus. Um, and, 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 like, the, the reason I'm talking about this is, and I can't talk about my wife's experience of it, obviously. I, it was much harder than mine. Um, but there is this whole process of waiting that you go through. You all know what I'm talking about? 
And, and I'm guessing that, that, you know, you can apply this to all kinds of areas of life. You, you know, farmers in the room, I'm guessing that you watch and you wait and you hope for rain and you hope for this and you hope for that. And there's all of this, like, like hanging out and watching. And I, in my mind, the worst thing in the world is waiting for something to happen. Is, isn't it true? Um, you know, if, especially if you know it's going to be something rough, waiting is miserable. It is hanging out and thinking, well, what about this? And what about this? And praying and hoping and then saying, well, what if? And, you know, maybe, and then you can't sleep because you're thinking about it. Or is that just me? Because you know, I remember laying in bed at night thinking about, you know, Abby. And, and before she was Abby. And, and we didn't even have a name, I think, until like a couple days beforehand. I mean, it was, was that Titus? It was Titus. Um, but there's all of this fear that goes into it, and all of this worry, and all of this anticipation, and it's even worse if you know it's going to be something painful, it's all of this stuff just piles in, and the longer you wait, the more it weighs on you. Um, The reason I'm talking about that is, we're in this series, um, this whole series started out with uh, a good friend of mine who, we were talking about Jesus, and we were talking about, um, about salvation, we were talking about Jesus dying on the cross for us, and and he looked at me and he said, man, I am I'm a bad person. Like, I cannot believe Jesus did that for me. Like, I can't believe God would go this far for me. Like, and, and you know, it, it, it about knocked me over. It was the day I, the day I was picking out a theme for this series, and, and it, it seemed about as clear as possible that this is what we needed to talk about. Like, like it doesn't matter where you've gone. doesn't no matter where you've been. doesn't matter what you've done. Like, like, God loves you enough to send his son to die for you. And that is, that is amazing. And as we do Easter, as we prepare, you know, for, for Good Friday and Easter Sunday, these weeks building up to it, I wanted to emphasize this as our, as our topic. Like, God loves you so much. He would go to any, any, any distance to be close to you. Um, so far as to, like, sending his son to die and take punishment for your wicked acts, Right? Like, and, and I'm saying this as a guy who's done a lot of wicked acts. Like, that is amazing. And I wanted to do Palm Sunday, but, but we're going to be talking a little bit about Monday, Thursday, which is something we don't talk about as much in the Church of God, I guess. Um, Monday, Thursday is the night of the Last Supper. It's the night of the arrest. Um, it's, it's kind of a churchy term. I think it's Latin, but I'm not positive. Um, and in this series so far, we talked about Abraham and Abraham taking his son to sacrifice him and how hard that would have been and how like God's perspective on sending his son to die for us. Um, last week, we talked about how when we were still sinners, when we were still in our sin, when we were still helpless, when we were still God's enemies, Jesus died for us. And, and that's in Romans where we, we talked about, you know, sometimes a, someone might die for a good guy or for someone they love, but like nobody dies for bad people, Right. You know, nobody says, well, I'll take the bullet for that guy. You know, it, it just doesn't happen. And Jesus, like, showing us what God's love is, he came and he died for us when we were at our worst. Um, we're, we're in Matthew's Gospel this time. Matthew is the most Jewish of the Gospels. And um, I read the text this week, and it wasn't until I was about halfway through studying it that I had this click moment, and I realized that, like, like there's a geography thing here. Everybody loves geography, Right? Yeah, um, there's a geography thing here, and it's actually kind of an exciting geography thing, and, and all of this fits together. Um, we're in the Passion narrative. This is the last, you know, this last part of Jesus' life. He's about to be arrested. From here, he'll be tried. He'll be um, held overnight, and the next day, he'll be executed. 
um, and he'll be on the cross for about six hours before he's buried. And then on Sunday, he rose from the dead. And so we're, we're in the Passion narrative, and we're starting out with the Last Supper has happened. And when Jesus, so they leave the upper room where the Last Supper happened. Um, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Now, um, Gethsemane is... Uh, uh, a Greek word, it means oil press, right? And the idea is that it's amongst the o- olive groves. And you would press olives to get oil out of them. Got it? <laughs> um, and, and the location of this is, so you got Jerusalem as a city on a hill, right? And the temple itself um, was originally Mount Moriah. And Herod came along and he said, we're going to make this temple impressive. And so he built up um, this temple around the peak of the mountain. And so he built a platform by putting walls up and filling them with earth and making this mountain flat on top. And that is the temple. Um, and you can see the temple from across the way at, um, at, at Gethsemane, right? And at the Mount of Olives, we hear about the Mount of Olives all the time, too. The Mount of Olives is kind of the whole mountain. You can stand up on top of it, and there's people who pick your pockets and stuff like that when you're up there today. Um, and, and it's this beautiful view of Jerusalem. And I'm actually going to show you, this is... Um, this is a photo of, of the Mount of Olives, right? Um, and, and you can kind of look up on top. It's all graves. See all this? That's, that's graveyards. Because the Jewish folks, they believe that when the Messiah comes, the Messiah will come from the Mount of Olives down to the temple and go into the temple through the east gate. And we'll see the east gate in a second. And that the dead will rise and that they'll rise up to go with him and, and all this. And actually on the other side, the Muslims built, um, like the medieval Muslims built their cemetery saying, well, the Jewish Messiah can't pass to our cemetery without becoming unclean and that'll keep him from showing up. Um, I, I'm just telling you. Um, in the middle there, you see the trees. That's about where, um, like, like just down a little ways, um, about halfway down, see the, the group of trees right there? Um, that is, I just walked off the Facebook Live thing so nobody knows what I just did. Um, that is where, uh, where the Garden of Gethsemane is. And it is the traditional spot. The Church of All Nations is right there. And actually, if you jump over just a little bit, about 100 feet, there's an alternate site where there's a cave. And the assumption is that when Jesus said, hey, wait here while I go pray, he put the majority of the disciples in the cave where, like, they would press olives. There's, like, archaeological evidence that there was an olive press there in the first century. And he left most of them there to hang out in the cave, and he went to pray. Um, This is a photo of the modern... um, Olive, you know, Olive Garden. No, that's not right. Uh, <laughs> uh, garden of Gethsemane, which is all olive trees, and it's a nice garden now, and it's very pretty. It probably didn't look much like this in the ancient era. And there's a big church there, and actually, you can see the front of the church. I think it's really cool. Um, anyway, so this big church is right there, and if you look the other way, and for some reason I didn't put the photo there um, from the from the, um, the, the Mount of Olives, from this spot where Jesus would have prayed. They built the church over the rock they think Jesus sat on while he prayed, right? And it's probably as good a site as any, you know. It's, it's sure, why not, kind of thing. Um, you can sit and you can look across the Kidron Valley, which is just this little drop, and then the temple, and you can see it, and you can see the East Gate. And on Palm Sunday, 
Jesus went from the Mount of Olives and he walked down on, and actually I think he rode a donkey, like the, a baby donkey, and, and the people came out to meet him. And as he crossed that valley and he came up the other side, they laid down palm leaves and they worshipped him and all this other stuff. And that's what we celebrate on Palm Sunday. And from the spot where he sat and prayed, he can see all of that, where all of that happened like four days before. You all with me? So he can see it all right there, where this procession of him going into the temple, like the, the prophets predicted and all this. And he sat there and he prayed. Um, and going on from there, and taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, this is Peter, James, and John, right? Peter, James, and John were like the inner circle, right? I got a lot of friends. I got like three or four people that have a key to my house. Does that make sense? And these are people who come and they sit with me on a regular basis and we talk a lot and they know me better than anybody and we're just very close. Jesus had an inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And these guys got special privilege and special access and they did stuff with Jesus because he was just closer with them. And so he takes Peter, James, and John, having left the rest of the guys to sleep in the cave, and he takes them with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. So Jesus knows what's about to happen. You all with me? Um, Jesus knows that he is about to go and he's about to be betrayed and he's about to be arrested and he's about to be humiliated and tried and then he's going to be stripped naked and nailed to a cross and not only is he going to be nailed to a cross because dying on a cross is bad, all right? Like dying on the cross, like the Romans probably win first or second prize for the worst ways to kill someone, all right? Like it's bad, um, So he knows this is about to happen. But beyond that, he also knows that what God is going to do at this moment is that God is going to punish him for the sins of, like, the world, right? God is going to pour all his wrath out on Jesus and, like, like punish him for all the sins of everyone, like, 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 who would come to him. Like, so you guys, you know, you think about, I don't know, I... I, I cannot be the only guy in the room who has memories that you think about when you lay in bed and you're like, man, I was dumb. I can't believe I did that. Is it just me? I, <laughs> like, Jesus was punished for that and you're forgiven as a follower of Jesus. Like, that is amazing. But he knows it's coming. And he's sorrowful and he's scared and he knows that God is going to turn his back on him. Meaning, like, like God is literally going to put him out of his presence, which... I, I don't think we can understand exactly what that means in this life. I think you can experience it in small tastes, like like to be as far away from God as you can possibly be. Anybody ever been in that spot where everything is as wrong and you have failed as badly as possible and everything is as broken as it's going to get and you are as far away from God as you've ever been or ever will be? I think you get a little bit of foretaste of what that's like. And Jesus is knowing this is coming. And not because he deserved it, not because, you know, of anything, but because he's being obedient to God and he's dying for our sins. And so he's troubled and he's sorrowful. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. So he tells them, guys, stay with me. Right? Um, I've learned, I've been a pastor for almost six years here. Uh, in professional ministry about 20 years, and and one of the things they don't teach you in seminary is what to do when life is horrible. You know, like you go and, like I, I've sat with people while while family members pass away, and I've, I've, I've done that kind of thing a few times, or like, like you know, that nobody, they, there's no seminary class of what do you say in that moment, which is why most ministers say stupid things in those moments, <laughs> because we only, like we work off a script, and they don't give us a script for that. Um, 
Jesus gives a perfect example here. He's like, guys, I'm, I'm broken today. Sit and watch with me. He doesn't say, pray with me, mind you. Just hang out here and be with me. Because the best thing you can do for someone who is suffering is, is be there and not talk. Right? Like, that's actually considered to be the height of insult in Jewish, ancient Jewish culture. Like, you would visit someone who was mourning and you would not talk until they talked to you. So you wouldn't show up and offer advice. You wouldn't, you know, shoot off your mouth, which is why ministers are bad at that, because it's what we do. Um, it's like all we do. Um, you know, but, but he says, hey, just be here with me. Um, I think there's a temptation sometimes to make Jesus into um, an inhuman person. You know what I mean? Like, you, you look at Jesus and you're pretty sure he, he never used the bathroom. You know, and his feet didn't touch the ground when he walked. And he didn't cry when he was born, right? That we all know that song, right? Except it's probably not true because they wouldn't have known when to feed him. Um, the, the reality is that Jesus, Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. And the man part of him was, was sorrowful. And he wanted his friends near him in these moments, right? He didn't want to be alone. He wanted these guys to be here and support him. Just, hey, just be with me and watch with me. Um, and so he goes a little farther, and going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed. Um, now, real quick, um, this is actually the only spot where we see Jesus praying this way, where he like falls down on his face, um, humble, humiliated, uh, submissive, and he talks to God. Um, it's a, honestly one of the most powerful bits of Scripture, I think, because it is Jesus in this moment terrified, and, and agonizing over what's coming. And, and honestly, I think tempted, right? Um, saying, my father, if it, is poss- if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So he prays, he says, God, if there's any other way, don't make me do this, right? The cup he refers to here is the cup of God's wrath. This means, like, literally, God, if there's a way to not experience your wrath, if there's a way to not have you pour out all of this wrath on me, if there's any other way to do this, let's go that way, right? But you know what? At the end of the day, it's your will, not mine. Um, I I took Abby to the doctor here a few weeks ago, and she had to give blood to check for something to see what was wrong. And I did my best to make certain that Abby did not know we were going to give blood. Do you know why? Because <laughs> the earlier she knows, the more hysterical she's going to be when they stick her. Right? And in fact, I tried to get her to look away when they were taking the needle out of the container so she didn't know until right before it happened. Because the sooner she knew, the bigger it got. This is where Jesus is, right? There's no hidden needle. Like, he knows it's coming. And it's building, and the fear, and the sorrow, and the awareness of what's about to happen. And in all of it, he says, God, let this cup pass. Um, But not as I will, as you will. Here's what I think is the biggest temptation Jesus faces in his ministry, in his life on earth, like in everything. Because we see him, he fasts for 40 days, and hey, make these rocks into bread. And, you know, like, make the angels catch you when you throw yourself off the temple. Or bow down to me, and you don't even have to go to the cross. We can do this the easy way. And, And I think in all of it, Jesus is there, he's about to go to it, and I cannot imagine that he wasn't tempted to say, all right, well, guys, I'm leaving. Right? 
I mean, I am, I'm a guy, I put things off as long as I have to, as long as I can, not have to, can, when I don't want to do something, right? And, and I, I honestly believe that this is the moment he is most tempted. He says, well, you know, that Eric guy's kind of a jerk. Is he really worth this? But in the end, what he says is, not as I will, but as you will. Um, there's something to be said for that in prayer. Um, because sometimes we pray and we look for God's will, and we suffer over it, and we mourn over it, and we dig in, and God, please. And, you know, those words, right? But let it be your way, not mine. Right? Let it be your will, not mine. If you want to know how to pray right, that is like the core of it. The core of it is to say, this is what I want, God, but I trust you. You be in charge. And that's easy, right? <laughs> Am I really the only one who laughed at that? That's awful. <laughs> We were silently laughing, Eric. We were laughing near you. Um, the, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Um, there's a joke amongst preachers. Um, oh, how do you know which church God is telling you to go work for? And you look at one, which one's going to pay you more, and that's probably God's will. Um, this is an instance where Jesus is asking for something that he does not want. Right? Not your will, but, you know, not my will, but your will. And he goes and he does, he knows he's going to do the thing he doesn't want to do. Um, he obeys God even when it's hard, um, even when it's painful. Uh, there's actually, I told you, this is uh, the Church of All Nations. There's this rock. I stood here by this rock, and people gather around pretty much every day, all day, and they pray on this rock. But the assumption was that, like, Jesus, like, laid on this rock and talked to God. Like, that he laid on this rock and prayed. And people still come and they pray in the spot where Jesus suffered. And I'm just showing it because it's my vacation pictures. And it wasn't vacation. It was a learning experience. Uh, <laughs> but honestly, because it was very moving to see the spot and think, wow, Jesus is right here. Right here, maybe. Or in this general area. <laughs> and then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. So he gets up and he goes to the guys who are watching with him. Peter, James, and John. And what are they doing? They're asleep because they're sitting in the dark, right? And they're tired. And it's been a very stressful week. And they are sleeping. And he said to Peter, so you could not watch with me one hour. Watch out and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So an hour later, Jesus has prayed for an hour. I'm guessing he didn't say that over and over again. I'm guessing he had an in-depth conversation with God. But Peter, James, and John are sleeping. He just comes back and really, it was an hour, guys. Seriously, you can't pray with me for an hour. Um, and they know he's distraught and everything else, but the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. I don't think he meant to throw out a, a catchy saying that we've adopted as a catchy saying, um, but here they are. Peter wants to do great things, and Peter wants to be this great man, but at the end of the day, Peter is weak, and Peter has flesh, and he has sin, and he's like all of us, Right? And he's there, and he's supposed to pray, and he's supposed to seek God, and he's supposed to be... Well, he wasn't even told to pray. Now he's told to pray. He's like, look, temptation is coming. Like, like, pray so that you'll be strong. Pray that you'll be ready. Pray that you'll be... And does Jesus know what's going to happen? Probably. He knows they're about to fall asleep. And actually, he already told Peter that he would deny him three times. He already knows what's about to happen. Um, but he still encourages him. Hey, pray, 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 so you don't fall into this. Um, and again, for the second time, he went away and he prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will will be done. Um, your will be done. 
hard, right? Anybody ever say, man, God, if this is what I've got to deal with, I'll deal with it. If this is what I've got to face, I'll face it. If this is what I've got to walk through, I'll walk through it. And again, for you. Right? For me. For the guy sitting next to you. For that obnoxious jerk that you have to deal with every day at work. That guy. You know the one I'm talking about. I love that line. I say it a lot. And some of you are retired, like Randy just made a face. But you work with Mark, I know. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I love you, Mark. Um, the <laughs> Jesus died for all of these people. He knows what's going to happen. He says, your will be done. Because sometimes God, sometimes God has us do hard things, right? The author of Hebrews, there's a great line in Hebrews where it talks about Jesus learning obedience in suffering, right? Man, I love that line. And here's why. Because in suffering, we obey God when it's painful and hard. Um, obeying God when it's easy is easy, isn't it? Obeying God when it's, you know, when it's the fun things to do is one thing. Obedience happens in the hard moments. Obedience happens when you face temptation and you walk away. Obedience happens when you are called to say hard things to people and you do it because it's what God's calling you to do. When it's time to love people who are awful and you love them. Um, when it's time to forgive people who are unforgivable and you forgive them because God's forgiven you even more, um, your will be done. And Jesus is completely submissive to God's will. Um, he's completely obedient in this. He says, I'll drink it if it comes to it. And he will. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed a third time, saying the same words again. So here's the deal. He goes from... You know, hey, if there's any way around it to resignation, I know I have to do this, I'll do it. He finds them sleeping and he doesn't even wake them up. Because he knows he's going into it alone. And he knows that they're going to just fall asleep again. And he goes and he prays a third time. Um, we don't know how long he prayed, at least an hour on the first end. This may be hours later. Um, he leaves them sleeping. He goes and he prays again. Um, then he came to the disciples and he said to them, Sleep and take rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Um, he wakes him up. He says, all right, guys, time's up. This is um, a view of the temple from the, uh, from the top of the Mount of Olives, Right? And it's hard to tell geography here, but like basically this is a big hill dropping down underneath. And then this is the temple, right? So from where Jesus is at, he can see this whole city, right? And the Kidron Valley, like when you read uh, Psalm 23, uh, Lo, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he's talking about the Kidron Valley. It was nicknamed the shadow of death because it got really dark and really scary at night. Everybody with me? Electric lights were very scarce at that time in history. And so when night came, it was night. Like, really, really night. It's probably why the disciples had so much trouble staying awake, because they're sitting in the dark, right? I mean, sitting and praying in the dark is hard. <laughs> and they fell asleep. So this is the big view of Jerusalem. The next picture I'm going to show you, this is standing, actually, that church, uh, the, the, the church I, I showed you the picture of earlier, that's on the front steps of that church, and right there, you see that little thing? Some of you don't see well, and I'm sorry. Um, that is the east gate. Jesus walked in that gate 
surrounded by people who were worshiping him and laying down their coats and putting down their palms and everything else. And Jesus sat in the garden and he prayed and he watched. While he was praying, he watched as a line of torches walked out the east gates because that's how you would go if you were going from the temple with temple guards to arrest somebody on the Mount of Olives. And he watched them coming and he prayed and watched his arrest coming because it would have been pitch black except for the torches the guards were carrying. And so in the dark he sat and watched the path he went up being worshipped a few days before as they came the other way to come and get him. And he sat and he watched in the dark and he talked to God and he knew it was coming. And again, you were on his heart and you were on his mind as he did it. Like knowing that we can't undo our sin, knowing we can't atone for ourselves, you were on his heart as he watched them coming. And I got to think he was, you know, God, your will, not mine. God, I know this is coming. I know I'm going to drink of this cup. Your will, not mine. I trust you. I'm obedient. I will do this. And when it finally came time, they're approaching. He wakes up the disciples and says, all right, guys, they're here. How do you know they were there? He watched them come. Golly, could you imagine that? Could you imagine how easy it would be to turn around and run away? It would be. Um, There's another photo. You can see the... uh, East Gate there. It's walled over now. It was another thing. They built a graveyard to keep Jesus or keep the Messiah from coming, and they put a wall over the door. Again, assuming that a wall in a graveyard is going to stop God. Whatever. Um, this is, again, like, like a photo from a little, down at the bottom of the steps. Um, there's a small drop, a highway, and then it. And you just watch this happening. You watch these guys coming through that gate down to get them. Um, I'm getting a little repetitive. I'm going to jump through this other part real quick because I didn't intend to read it, but I want to. Um, While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once, greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. So now... Again, one of his closest friends in the world walks up and kisses him. This is a little weird in modern context. In the ancient world, rabbis would often kiss their disciples, right? It was a sign of affection. It was very common. You would do that. Disciples very rarely did that back because it was a presumption. It was an assumption that I am in charge. And Judas, here he is, right? About to betray him. Um, Another really crazy bit here, because this is Monday, Thursday we're looking at. About three hours, four hours maybe earlier, Jesus washed this man's feet. Like, and treated him as though, you know, so he was one of the rest of the disciples. He knew he would betray him and he still served him. Um, What do we do with all this? Well, for starters, like, as we're approaching Easter, it's so easy to lose sight of how, just how astonishing God's love on your behalf is, right? I mean... God loves you so much. He sat and watched it coming and didn't move out of the way. He sat and actually Luke tells us he sweated blood. He was so like like stressed and afraid and 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 aware of what was coming. And that's a condition where the capillaries in your skin break. It 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 does happen under extreme stress. He sweated blood. He was so like like overwhelmed with what was coming and still on your behalf. That's how much Jesus loves you. That's how much God loves you. That's how much going to the cross meant to him, like, like, like dying on your behalf, being obedient to the Father, all of it for you because God loves you that much. And so as you walk out the door today, it is easy to live in a world where you say, 
I'm worthless. There is no point in my life. God has abandoned me. I am stuck. Every bad thing that is happening to me is a sign that God dislikes me, right? Anybody ever live in that spot? You're right, Mike. It is just not true. Because God loves you this much, and this is a forever assurance that God loves you this much. No matter how dark the night is, God is still right there next to you. No matter how many times you fall asleep, like when you should be praying, (laughs) no matter how many times you fall on your face, um, Peter denied Jesus three times and he still came back for him. God loves you that much. I don't think I can put that in bigger terms. Um, a couple other minor points to, to apply this. Um, anybody ever gone through a period of time where it feels like nothing is ever going to be right again? Well, like three of us? All right. <laughs> Solidarity, brothers. Um, anybody too embarrassed to raise your hand? Um, in those moments, I think God teaches us valuable lessons. He teaches us to lean on Him. He teaches us to run back to Him over and over and over again and trust Him. Is it fun? No. Is it easy? No. But it's reality. Um, C.S. Lewis, and I can't quote it directly, when his wife was dying of, of bone cancer, um, talked about how God uses pain to shape us. And in the moments when we hurt and struggle the most is when we need him the most. Um, we need to lean on him the most. And we need to dig deep and find a new foundation of our faith in him the most. It's when we're sitting up at night, can't sleep, praying and talking to God, make this right. Um, and we have to find a deeper depth to rely on him. Is it easy? No. He did it for you, though. Um, and in those moments, he does it for us. What else do we do with it? Well, coming in on Easter, we remember, like, this is, Easter is about our resurrection. It's about our forgiveness, our reconciliation to God, our new relationship with Him, the fact that He makes us into new people. Like, and it is an outstanding blessing. It's better than anything else you could hope for. Um, if you follow Jesus, you follow that path, you stay with Him, he, he literally will go any distance for you and with you because He's already done it. We're going to close in prayer, and I will let you all go because I smell lunch. Um, Heavenly Father, come to you this morning and and just just love you, Lord. Thank you so much for Jesus and what he did for us. Thank you so much that that knowing and tempted to to shortcut or to walk away, um, Lord, God, even when we were worth walking away from, that he still did it, Um, that he still came and and he still carried our sins on his back. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Just one closing thought. Um, At the end of that passage I started reading after the text, um, Peter picks up a sword and he cuts off one of the guard's ears, right? And Jesus heals the guy and he's like, you know what? I don't need you. I could call 10,000 angels out of the sky right now to defend me, right? Like, and you know these guys with clubs and spears and stuff ain't gonna, I mean, angels are gonna make them wet their pants and run away. Um... (laughs) Always he had that option. He didn't employ it, right? Like, I wanted to mention it. I forgot it. I want to say it again. God could have done any other way, and he did it the right way on your behalf. Um, Have a good Sunday, guys.